Well, today I wanted to start a series, and the title of my series I want to tell you straight away is this, The Purpose of Our Church. So this is a series that's really aimed at if you are a part of Favorite Church. If you're visiting today, if you're watching online, God bless you, we're so glad that you're here. But coming into our seventh year as a church, and it's also you know, our, our you know, beginning of the year and where we feel God is leading us for the year. I, I've really been wrestling with this idea of what's the purpose of our church, favorite church. You know, one of my roles as the pastor of our church is to make sure that we stay on the right track, whether it's uh, doctrinally, culturally, financially. Uh, I need to make sure that we're on the right track as a church. And if I look at the direction of our church that God has given us as a compass, say true north is a direction that God wants to take us on, uh, this direction of how we do church is found both in the Word of God and also in revelation directly from God. In His Word, there are things that we need to do as a church that every other Christian church in the world needs to do because it's black and white, and it's in the Bible. Uh, but like my wife likes to describe the big C church, everybody in, church is kind of like a ice cream shop. And when you go into an ice cream shop, how many of y'all are glad that there's more than just one flavor of ice cream in the shop? And I love that there are so many different flavors. Even within this physical building, there are different flavors of church. And I'm glad because a flavor of church down the hall can reach someone that we can't reach. And our flavor of church can reach someone that the one in the mall can't reach as well. And so I love it. I love that these different flavors are all available in the kingdom of God, and the flavors come from revelation to those individual churches, but they've got to be in line with the Bible. Favor church, we have a flavor. We got a favor, flavor. We got a flavor, we got a smell. We have a culture in our church. We do things a certain way in our church. It's not better or worse than other churches. It's just the way that we feel God has called us to do church. And so beginning seventh year in new year ahead, I've really been praying and seeking God on how we are doing as a church. Are we on the right direction? Are we on the right path? Is our compass facing true north? And you know, I really feel that there are many things in our church that I love. There are so many great things in our church that we're doing well, we're doing to the best of our ability, and I think that we're on the right track. But also, there are some things in our church where I kind of feel like, you know what, I think that we are one or two degrees off of where God wants us to go. And this is really, really important to be able to acknowledge, because one or two degrees off is actually very hard to see. It's very difficult to see when you start off one or two degrees off. Oh, it kind of looks the same. Oh, yeah, this kind of go. Oh, this kind of go. But how many of y'all know that one or two degrees off over time can lead to something completely different than where you were supposed to go? And so I've always had this 
idea that in church, it's way better to deal with things when it's only one or two degrees off than when it's 90 degrees off and we're doing crazy stuff and we need to pull it back in line. And so I want to spend the next three weeks doing two major things in this series. The first is this. I want to affirm the correct direction that we are on and I want to encourage us to maintain the correct direction that we are on. And secondly is this, I want to correct the direction of some of the areas where we may be off. And when I say we, we as a church, which means you and I as the church, to course correct some of the things where we may be one or two degrees off. If you've been around our church for a while, this is going to be a great series for you. Open your heart. Let God speak to you. If you are new to our church, this is the best series for you because you're going to see who we are as a church and who we want to be. You know, I feel sometimes church can, can feel really complicated. Like we just watched Favor News and there's so many things happening. There's this, Favor Pro, Favor Youth, Conference, Grow. There's that one men's course, right? There's just so many things happen. You can serve in the kids, in the youth, in the young adults, in the prayer team, in favor. There's just so there's favor fitness now. Do you want to walk? Do you want to run? Do you want to play soccer? Do you want to play badminton? Pickleball, right? Whatever it is. I just feel like there's so much happening in our church. And I was praying and I really felt the Lord put on my heart to really simplify what the purpose of our church was. If I could just kind of put everything into a really simple list so that everyone can really understand and in order what the purpose of our church is. I want people to understand really how simple church is and to understand the importance we place on each area. And so I tried to simplify everything we do as a church into six main areas. Now, this might change over the years. We might add something over the years, but at the moment, this is really what I feel for our church. And I want us to put it on the screen right now so that you can see it. This is our church. Great. Let's pray. <laughs> you good? You've learned? Do you know what our church is now? Can we go? Let's go. Let's be the church. Amen. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to explain it. Don't worry. So here's the thing. The first thing that our church is, the purpose of our church is, it's to worship God. Then it's to make and train and release disciples into ministry. Then it's to pastorally care for people within our church community first. Then it's to help the poor and the needy outside of our community. Then it's training and blessing pastors and churches outside of our community. And number six, we're going to have a lot of fun doing all these things together. So this is the purpose of our church. And this is what I'm going to preach on. And I'm going to start with the first one, which is worship God. Now, I got to warn you, as I began to write this sermon, I thought, that I'd be able to preach on all six of these things in the one sermon. And as I started writing through my notes and preparing and praying for this sermon, I ended up only being able to get through one point. So today, all we're going to talk about is worshiping God in our church. Is that okay with everyone? We're going to get to next week, and we're going to talk about a few of those things, because some of those things, you might be going, wait, wait, what? We place more of an importance of pastorally caring for people within our community rather than helping the poor and needy outside? 
Yes, we do. And I'm going to explain that next week. So make sure you come back next week. Huh? Worship God. Worship God. The greatest purpose that we have as a church is actually to worship God. You know, our vision statement is to know God and make him famous. To know God is not an intellectual knowledge of God. It's this, it's this knowing of God the same way that Adam and Eve knew each other, the same way that we know God. It's, it's an intimate relationship that is birthed from the foundation of worshiping God. Did you know that worshiping God is more important than telling people about Jesus. See, I, I want to kind of shuffle some of your feathers a little bit. But we got to go save the lost. Yes, but worshiping God is actually more important than saving the lost. But if you worship God, the overflow of your worship will lead you to having a desire to go and save the lost. I want to be as Jesus described in John 4, 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I want to be someone who worships God in spirit and truth. And today, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about our personal purpose in worshiping God. If you want to know more about that, Rick Warren wrote a great book called The Purpose Driven Life, and he talks about our purpose to worship. You want to find out more, go and read Rick's book. Thanks, Rick. But today I want to come at this from a different angle, and I'm hoping I can course correct some of us that are maybe one or two degrees off a little bit. And I want to ask and I hopefully want to answer a question that I believe has plagued the church for years. I want to look at how worshiping God is outworked in our Sunday worship service. And here is the question that I want to ask and I want to hopefully answer today and it's this. Who is our Sunday worship service aimed at? Who is it for? Who, who is it for? The two general answers would be this. On this side, it's aimed at Christians. It's aimed at people within our favorite church community. You are a part of favorite church. You come, you tithe, you love Jesus, you know Jesus, you're growing in Jesus. The other end of the spectrum is the unbeliever. It's the unchurched. It's the one that doesn't know who Jesus is. It's the one that has given up on life and saw our advertisement on the LED screen in EDSA. They've given up maybe some of their friends have posted on social media or someone has invited them along. I asked this question to our year two Bible college class a few months ago, and it was quite interesting, the answers that they gave. And I think in order to really get this answer, we've got to understand that it's not really a black and white answer. It's not like one church is just for this and just for this. I believe that really church is on a spectrum, right? Church is on a spectrum, and on that spectrum... It's a spectrum of who's our church aimed for. Down this end, it's for the unchurched, it's for the unbelievers, it's for people that have no idea about God. And then on this end, it's for people that are a part of our church, Christians, they want to grow in God. And most of the students that answered this question when I said, who's our church for? They kind of said, well, we feel like we're in the middle, but we lean more towards 
reaching out to the lost. We lean more towards reaching the unchurched. And I get why they would say that. Our church is pretty welcoming to people that come for the first time, aren't we? Do we? Oh, we're not? Uh, who here came to church and felt welcome the first time that they came to church? Like, you just felt like people cared that you were here. People lo- like, I, I think we do a pretty good job with new people in our church. We give you a gift. We hand out a bag. We have a whole team dedicated to wanting to know who you are as a person. That's pretty good. We put a lot of effort into creativity, into the sound, into the lights, you know, the way we speak. We don't speak in Christianese language. We speak in a language that's very understandable by people. And so our college students, most of them answered, yeah, we feel like we're leaning more towards this way. Like our, the purpose, really desire of our church is to reach the lost within our Sunday services. But there was one guy who said, I think that we actually lean more this way. And I looked at him and I said, I think you're correct. I actually think that our church, and maybe this might be a surprise to some of you, but I actually think our church leans more on our Sunday services, not our whole church, but our Sunday services. It's aimed more at Christians, people a part of our church, believers that are here. All those things that we do, the the lights, the sound, the bags, all of those things are very nice, but all of those are the fruits, the foundation, the root of what we do, I think is actually coming together, worshiping God, and our church services on a Sunday is actually aimed more at the church goer. Uh, I think this is biblical. And I want to show you a passage today. Let's go to the Bible for guidance. I think the Apostle Paul gives us some really interesting directions in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I I encourage you, read the whole chapter. He talks a lot about how church services should look. He's talking about tongues. And if you don't understand the difference between the public gift of speaking in tongues with interpretation and the private gift of speaking in tongues through your prayer life and your prayer language, then you can go. I I preached on this uh, uh, last year. I think you can watch our sermon on that. I explain all about it. But Paul, he gives this pretty confusing passage of Scripture found in chapter 14, verse 22. And I want to read the amplified version because it kind of explains it a little bit better. But Paul writes this, Therefore, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign, not to believers but to unbelievers who might be receptive. While prophecy, which is foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, is not for unbelievers but for believers. So he's saying Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy, speaking the words of God, is a sign for believers. So then, if the whole church gathers together and all of you speak in unknown tongues and outsiders or those who are not gifted in spiritual matters or unbelievers come in, they will, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, and an unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted of his sins by all, And he is called to account by all because he can understand what is being said. The secrets of his heart are laid bare. And so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. So I think this is a pretty confusing passage of scripture. Does anyone else think it is? 
I think if you read it for the first time, it's, it's a little bit confusing. Let's break it down. So Paul's saying that the public gift of speaking in tongues is a sign for an unbeliever. And what this is, it's someone standing up and delivering a message from God in tongues that must be interpreted. It's an unknown language. It could be a heavenly language or it could be a natural earthly language that they don't know, but God has given them the utterance and able to speak it. And it must be interpreted. And Paul is saying, if someone comes into a service that's never been to church before, that doesn't understand what we do or how we speak or the Christianese stuff that they do, and all of a sudden we're just here yelling in tongues, everybody's going da-da-da-da-da, yelling in tongues, and there is no direction or no explanation, everybody's going to think that we're weird. And they're going to walk out not changed. They're going to walk out, leave and go, this place is for crazy people. All the people here are weird. And so you kind of read that and you think to yourself, okay, so is Paul leaning towards this direction of church services? Maybe we need to take out the crazy supernatural stuff so that we don't make people feel uncomfortable. Well, a couple of verses later in verse 27, this is what he says. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be limited to two or three at the most, and each one speaking in turn, and one must interpret what it is said. So when you read that verse a couple verses later, you understand that, hold on, Paul is not anti-tongues in church. And if I could just use tongues as an example, maybe for everything crazy in church, can we just, can we just use that? Because it is pretty crazy, right? So Paul is not anti-tongues. He's not anti-supernatural in church. Do you know what he just wants? He wants an explanation for it. He wants direction for it. He wants people not to just sit there and go, blah, 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 but he wants it to be actually explained so that new people coming in can know what is going on. Unfortunately, there are some churches in the last 30 to 40 years that have just not been able to handle any of this, and they've swung completely over here. And they've created something called a seeker-sensitive church, where they want to hide all the crazy, amazing, supernatural stuff of God, because they think that it pushes people away. And if it pushes people away, they won't come to church, and they won't hear about God. Can I tell you? The most powerful way that someone is going to see Jesus is not in a church building, but through your life. And so we've created these churches that they might be filled with a lot of people, but they end up being pretty spiritually shallow churches because we kind of hide all the crazy stuff. And then once we feel we've got them enough, we go, surprise, we do this, And we basically catfished them into Christianity. Paul is clear. You can do the supernatural stuff in church. In fact, it's actually awesome if you do it. You just need to explain why you're doing it and how it works. And this is where I feel Paul encourages us not to lean this way in our Sunday services, but actually to lean this way. Remember what I read out before? After the tongues and the prophecy where he was telling people, this is actually what he said. But if all prophecy foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, and an unbeliever or outsider comes in, 
he is convicted of his sin by all, and he is called to account by all because he can understand what is being said. The secrets of his heart are laid bare, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. Do you see what Paul is saying here? That unbelievers, unchurched people, people that don't understand the weird things that we do, will come into a service, and they will respond, not to a watered-down, seeker-sensitive message, but they will act actually respond to a supernatural moment in the service. They will respond, not watered down, but they will respond. And can I tell you, this is who I think our church is. I think our church is a church that does not water down what we believe. Our church is a church that is not ashamed of some of the weird and wonderful and supernatural things that happen in the kingdom of God. We do not hide the supernatural. Do you know why? Because I believe that the two easiest ways to win people to Jesus are this. is Number one, is you and I living a life that reflects the joy and the peace that Christ has given us outside of this building. The easiest way for us to win people to Jesus is not to put on a big evangelistical outreach and to bring them. No, it's to actually show an attractional life of Jesus. It's to actually show what it means to have peace through the storms. What it means for God to turn our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into joy. What it means to walk blessed by the Lord. That's the greatest way we can actually convince, show people how great Jesus is. And I think the second way is this, is to provide an atmosphere of the supernatural where they encounter the power and the presence of God in church. You know the majority, and and I can't even exaggerate this, the majority of people that come to church come with a friend. So before I get up and preach about Jesus, they're already judging him on the example that you've shown him. Right? So if you're thinking, oh, I've got to bring him to church so pastor can tell him about Jesus and they can get saved. They saw him or didn't see him at work this week with you, with how you responded. They, they saw or didn't see when you were talking with your family or whether you took that bribe or whether you got angry at the waiter or whether you got angry at the call center person on the phone like I did this week. I want to apologize. (laughs) I have an Australian credit card that I have a lot of trouble with. And guess where the call center is located? In the Philippines. So what's your email? James at favor.church. Oh, really, sir? Anyway. (laughs) I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. So most people come to church because they've actually walked in with a Christian. So when they get here, yeah, I'm going to preach about Jesus, but you know what we take very intentionally is providing an atmosphere in this place of the supernatural. And I believe what Paul is describing here has actually been happening in our church for the last seven years. We go after God in our worship. We are not ashamed. 
We're, we're okay in, in praying in a heavenly language. We go after miracles every Sunday. We go after healing miracles in this place. Our sermons are aimed at bringing the word to life. The sermons that I preach are very convicting sermons. I don't just preach how much God loves you and everything gonna be okay this week. No, I call sin out from the word of God. We, we preach the word of God, but we make it um, we, we try and make it authentic and we try and make it real enough that the word of God can actually help you be a better person, a better father, mother, worker, friend, a better Christian this week. But it's through our worship and our seeking God and our biblically founded sermons that we've actually seen the broken the unchurched, the unbeliever, the prodigals, the backsliddens have come in. And you know what they found? And I want to switch the, the, the scripture a little bit, but this is what they found. The secrets of their hearts are laid bare, falling on their face. They worship God, declaring that God is really among us. That has happened in our church for the last seven years. We don't need to water down the supernatural. We don't need to water down the conviction of the gospel of God. There seems to be an atmosphere in our church that even when unchurched unbelievers come in, they go, I may not understand everything, but I feel something. I may not get what's happening. It might look weird, but that person has joy and it's coming out of them. I may not get what's going on but there's something in the room and that's something we are not embarrassed about in fact we are pro we are pro we, we want to see that something what they call something I call the presence of God I want to see that more I want to see the tangible manifest presence of God that is my prayer for our church that the presence of God would be so tangible would be so manifest that unchurched unbelievers would come in here and go I cannot deny that God is amongst you I cannot deny that he is here this happened last week if you were in church last week, Dr. Dennis preached. He preached. And then he did a ministry time. And over the three services in the ministry time, things got crazy. He's praying for different things. People are screaming. People are yelling. Like, like everything's happening that shouldn't happen if we want to reach unchurched people because we might make them feel uncomfortable, Right? But at the end of each of the altar and ministry times, I got up and I shared the gospel message. And did you know last week, 40 people responded to the gospel message last week after all the craziness, after all the supernatural stuff, not before, after, after a couple people were manifesting, right, screaming at the front. Dr. Dennis is calling out suicidal people that are running to the altar, crying, breaking down, God healing, touching people. Oh, I'm telling you that. Can I, can I just flip it on his head? What we might think is embarrassing, they're intrigued by. When you invite your friends to church, can I just tell you? If you don't lift your hands because you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable, they will look at everybody else lifting their hands and look at you and go, why aren't you lifting your hands? 
So the very thing that you're trying to do to make them feel comfortable is the very thing that makes you look like a hypocrite. Some of us are one or two degrees off today. How have we been looking at church? When we give the gospel message in our church, it's not a weak, watered-down message. It's not a message of, are you feeling bad this week? God loves you. Lift up your hand. See how many people got saved this week? No, no, we don't do that. If you've been in our church longer than two weeks, you'll know every time we deliver the gospel message, it is. We talk about sin, separation from God, that the only way that we can be saved is by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. We go hard with our gospel message. For some of you today, you're like, yeah, I know this and I love this. For some of you, you didn't fully understand it, but now you're getting a little bit excited about it. For others, this might be new information, but today what I wanted to do was I wanted to draw a line in the sand. And I actually wanted to address something that I've even said in church and how I've described church services. People ask me all the time, you know, what's our church, especially our Bible college students, we do a lot of Q&A and stuff. And I would always describe church in this way. Maybe you've heard me describe it, where I feel like church is like a gas station, the Sunday service, not, not the church-wide community. We're going to talk about that next week, but the church service is like a gas station where you go out in your week and just your tank, however, how, whatever's happened this week determines how empty your tank is, right? right? Now, if you read your Bible and you pray to God every day and have your own relationship with God, you shouldn't be coming into church empty. But a lot of us, tough week, we come into church empty. And I always describe church as it's like a gas station. We come in and we get filled up. It's like a, a booster injection, right? It's like the, the, the speed burst on Mario Kart. It's just, it's, I, you know, I come into church, I was feeling down, but ah, I'm here now. This is where I want to go. But I've decided that I'm going to stop describing our church services like that from now on, even though I believe there's truth in it, but I need to stop describing it that way because what I feel that I've been doing is adding to the biggest problem that we have in the modern day church. And this is the biggest problem that we have in the modern day church. We have created a me-centered church to keep up with our me-centered world. We have created a church where people come and their motivation is, what can I get out of this today? We've created a comfortable church service centered around meeting the needs of our people. How can that be a bad thing though isn't that good i mean we have aircon when it works we have aircon we have comfortable seats we we've got a fantastic sound and production our kids ministry which is up the back just for one sunday then we're kicking them back down the hallway next week our kids ministry is unbelievable we have such amazing volunteers that you could come to our church for 40 years and never lift a finger in our church and everything will be done for you because of the amazing sacrifice of some volunteers. But you can just come and be comfortable, come do your thing, tick the box, I went to church this week, 
go out for lunch and continue on living your life however you want to live. And even though this idea of creating a church service to meet the needs of the people, even though that sounds good, and, and believe me, there are beautiful scriptural encouragements for us to meet the needs of our people. We'll talk about it next week. When meeting the needs of our people become our primary focus, we create a me-centered church, which ultimately leads to a me-centered gospel of Jesus. And it's amazing because I've sat, Kate, Kate and I have been in ministry for years. I've been in ministry, this is my 21st year of being in ministry. I know I look so good, but this is, this is my 21st year being in ministry. Kate been a youth leader and in pastoral ministry for probably about 18 years, something like that. And we have sat and talked with so many people. Can I just be honest with you? Do you know who one of the most annoying people that we've ever sat with are? It's Christians who have grown up in church and have created a me-centered church. Because we sit with them, and, and I could paraphrase hundreds of conversations we've had into this. Well, you know, it, the church really isn't meeting my needs. You know, my leaders aren't calling me the way I want them to. These people aren't following me up the way that I want. I, you know, I, I expected to, to, to get this promotion within church. Like, church has promotions? I wanted to do this, and, and you sit there, and it's really funny because it's always I, 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 and particularly kids that have grown up in the last 20, 30, 40 years where this has become a worldwide trend where we have me-centered churches. Can I be honest with you? There's aspects of our church which are me-centered. There are. And those are the one and two degrees that I feel like we need to just course correct a little bit because you end up spending all this time with people trying to please them, trying to meet their needs. And we make this as our main priority. We come to church. We will meet your needs at church, whether it's for your spiritual life, your marriage, your parenting, your dating life, your emotional, your community. We will meet your needs. And the very people that want their needs met will never be satisfied. And they'll end up leaving your church and just going to another church. And they'll become the flavor of the month because they're new there until they realize that they can't meet all their needs. And then they'll go to another church. And they'll become the flavor of the month until they realize they can't meet their needs. And they'll go from church to church to church to church to church until eventually they won't find a church. And they'll either stop going or they'll get corrected and get in line with how God wants you to actually treat church. We have to stop this. We have to stop creating a me-centered church. We have to get our foundation correct. So what is the purpose of this church service? Is it to meet your needs? No. It's to come together as a community to praise, to worship, and to lift the name of Jesus up. That is the foundational purpose of our church. The foundational purpose is not to get a booster injection, is not to be fill, filling our gas tanks up this week. In the process of us lifting up the name of Jesus, we will receive those things. Listen to me. Those things are the fruit. They're not the root. 
The root is to not be filled up by God. The root is to lift up the name of Jesus. And the fruit of that is he will fill you up. Now, some of you are like, well, why does this matter, James? You're kind of, isn't it just semantics? Who cares? We're doing the same thing. Whether it's this or that. No, 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 no. You have to understand that the, the semantics matters on this. It does matter because you have to have the right foundation. Because if if you have the wrong foundation, it's going to be exposed when the storms hit. Let me borrow a parable from Jesus. And I'm not going to speak it the way he did. I just want to use it as a foundation to give you another aspect of it. The the rich, the, the wise man that built his house on the rock and the foolish man that built his house on the sand. If you could imagine with me, let's just imagine that the houses look the exact same. Imagine... If they actually use the same material, nice big house, two story, four bedrooms, three bathrooms, big kitchen, it's all nice. It all, it all looks the same. In that parable that Jesus talks about, it says that the storms come. And when the storms come, the one whose house is built on the right foundation, it stays up. The one whose house is built on the wrong foundation, it gets flattened. They use the same building material to build up the house, but they had different foundations. So listen to me. You could be standing next to someone and be experiencing the fruit the same way with two different foundations. Why does this matter? Because you could be standing next to someone. You could both be worshiping. Thank you, God. You are more than anyone. You are more than able. You can sing the same songs. You can cry the same tears. You can feel the same presence. But what happens if God doesn't answer your prayers the same way? When the storm comes, what's exposed is what's the foundation that you've actually built your relationship with God on. Is it him meeting your needs or is it me worshiping him because of how wonderful, how mighty, how magnificent? He's the alpha. He's the beginning of time. He's the omega. He's the end of time. And he's everything in between. Yeah, he is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. But his provision is a fruit of his character of who he is. He is awesome. We used to sing a song in church. Our God is an awesome God. Ray from heaven above. I love that song. He's awesome. That's who he is. And yes, he does all these amazing things for us. But that's all the fruit. The, the foundation matters in this. You're going to get offended by someone in church. If you haven't yet, you haven't been here long enough. Why? Because people are people. If you can be in a church for longer than a year and not get offended, you're not close enough to anyone yet. You're going to get offended. You're going to get offended. If you have a foundation of, I come to Sunday service to receive for me, for me, for me, and we have this me-centered church, I'm telling you, I've seen people face the most minor of things that walk away from God, 
that walk away from church the moment it doesn't match their personal expectations that they have of God. Why? Because their foundation, and unfortunately because of how the modern day church has actually created church. We've, we've created Christians that think that a Sunday service is all about you. And, and if I don't like it, I'm going to go to another church that makes me feel a little bit better. I'm going to go to another. But I'm telling you, over time, when the storms come, your foundations will be exposed. Yes, we will disciple, we will train, we will release people for ministry. We will pastorally care for people in our community. We're going to help the poor and the needy outside of our church, and we're definitely going to help other pastors and other churches. I'm going to be talking all about that next week, but all of those things that we do have to flow from a solid foundation, and what is the foundation? We are here to worship God, and so we will not water down our Sunday services. We will draw a line in the sand. Should I still bring my unchurched? Yeah, I think you should, because I think we've proven that the tangible presence of God is actually pretty powerful, and I think they will fall on their faces and worship and say, God is really among you. I think it will happen, but to be honest, to be honest, our church, Sunday service, not our whole church, our Sunday service is going to be aimed at Christians. It's going to be aimed at people within our community. In fact, to be honest, it's, it's actually been aimed that way the whole time. I always joke with people. I, I think that people watch our sermons online, watch my sermons. I think I'm a terrible podcast preacher for anybody outside of our church. Because I basically just preach into our church every single week. I'm not here to build James 8 ministry online and reach the world. Hi, you know, we'd like to welcome you from Kenya if you're watching today. God bless you. Give, give right now. Give, give, give. I see a hundred, I see a thousand, seed, 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 seed is coming, right? That's not, seed, right, is coming. It's not, that's not, not what we do. I actually think I'm a terrible for people outside of our church. I think we're great for people inside of our church because I'm, I'm this, this is my church, I'm your pastor. I preach for what our church is going through. So we're going to aim, we're going to aim, we're going to continue to aim. Our Sunday service is going to, we're going to be unashamed. And we're going to do things. We're starting our street teams. You know what the purpose of our street teams is? It's not to reach Christians. Isn't that great? Our street teams of evangelism, we have our info night. When is it? This Saturday? Friday. This Saturday night is our information night. It's for everyone of all ages. We have teenagers and we have seasoned people already signed up to come and everything in between. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week. So don't be like, oh my gosh, so all of a sudden now we don't care about the lost? No, if you have managed to hear that, you've missed everything I've said today. The lost matter, God just matters more. But when you get God, you'll get his heart for the lost. This is our foundation. Everything else we do flows from it this week. So next week, I'm going to talk about our strategy to reach the lost. I'm going to talk about how we're going to build disciples and how we're going to grow and what we're going to do. And I'm really excited to talk about what I believe is the next stage in the season of our church and in reaching out to pastors and to other churches. But today, we're going to do what I've been preaching about, and we're going to worship. Anyone here want to worship? Some people say, well, you shouldn't tell people to lift their hands and worship. What is their first time they feel uncomfortable? 
You know what I found? I found that first time people in church are generally more comfortable than the friends that brought them. We, we worry more for them than they're worrying themselves. Pastor said, lift their hands, right? You know, you know how many first time people I've seen in church just be like this? They're not offended. And guess what? If you don't lift your hands, who cares? We're not kicking you out. We're not coming to see if you tied this week. Show me your bank account. We don't, we don't do that as a church. We're not a cult. We don't do that as a church. But we worship. We worship. What's the purpose of our church? The first thing. The most important thing in order is this is we worship. That's why when we talk about the values of our church, the number one value of our church is the presence of God. Because we value him and his presence and we worship. And as a result of our worship, oh, I leave this place feeling full. I leave this place feeling like I'm ready to attack the weak. But I don't come to church just so that I can be filled up. I come so that I can worship and the Bible is clear that we should come and we should worship Him together.